Hello everyone, welcome back uh, to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. Uh, I'm Tom Merch Jr. As always, I'm joined by Mike Murphy. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm hanging in there, Tom. I We've kind of reached the official doldrums of things now. At this stage of the game, we're just kind of waiting, watching the clock tick on Ryan Strom, because uh, that's like the last big domino that has to fall for the Rangers and figuring out what happens uh, from there and over at Blue Shirt Banner we're you know trying to coordinate and plan our off-season content and getting used to the fact that you know October and November and December are going to be the off-season so yeah hanging in there doing what I can do how are you doing I'm doing pretty good yeah it's like that time it's kind of weird because not much is going on um you know had the Rangers not uh sign you know d'angelo and, and gorgiev we'd be sort of counting down like okay what's uh what's going to happen here but with there really just two players left to finalize um it, it, it's weird because you look at other sports and like i know um Baseball is in the World Series going to be wrapping up and then everything is going to get going with their offseason. I know the I thought I saw something about the NBA looking at potentially starting in December, but then uh, I don't remember who exactly it was. But, uh, you know, the commentary was, well, if we start at this time, you know, a lot of the top players are going to want to sit out at least a month because we really just finished. So. Really is not a lot going on, so it makes it um, that much more hard to put together a podcast. But we certainly um, are going to do our best. We were glad to have uh, Julie on the podcast last week. We're certainly uh, going to have some more guests on future shows, um, and this week we're going to be joined by Jake Baskin, um, someone who you know is. Uh, you know, very knowledgeable about broadcasters. He's very, you know, on top of, um, I, I know, like, every every week, um, at least depending on whatever the sports are going on, he'll send out a series of tweets like, okay, so-and-so is on this game and stuff. Because I know in, with hockey, we've become accustomed to, well, it was Doc Emmerich doing the national games or sometimes John Forslund. But you have people that, are watching football like oh there's all these games going on right now i want to listen to so-and-so or i'm going to watch so-and-so um so we're excited to have him on um and as always if there's people you want to have on as guests or people we want to try to get us on as guests or different formats of things i know me and mike have talked about maybe we do some specialty shows whether it's us giving like superlatives for the Rangers season or, um, you know, even doing wacky stuff. Certainly let us know. Uh, yeah, you can... I can beat you by drafting from the Marvel Cinematic Universe again. You know, are you bringing you that me, up? You beat me in the Ducks draft, though, the Mighty Ducks draft. Yeah, I was going to ask. over that again recently. Yeah, were you bringing I'm... that up because of the better. Ducks thing again? Yeah, Tom, it's it's bullshit because you claimed you, you drafted a goalie and you're like, I'm going to play him as D or whatever the hell you did. You have Goldberg playing D. I forget what you did. You did a lot of things. I mean, I tried to be creative. I, I, I don't think there's anything uh, in the rule book 
against being creative. I mean, we do make the rules because this is our podcast and we do what we want. And if people don't like that, then they can just not listen to us. Um, yeah. Includes, you know, reactions to guests we have on, which we obviously will not tolerate at all. Um, I I think you you spoke for that for for yourself uh, with with your tweet. We don't really need to go into that anymore. Yeah, I'm, suffice to say, I'm making sure we're going to have a shitload of uh, female guests and amazing women in hockey media who are going to be on the show. Hopefully, a whole bunch through the off season. It's we had plenty of people that said they would be interested in doing it. The trick now is coordinating all that and, and dealing with the monster I created. <laughs> I told Tom, like, normally Tom does a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, and I said, uh, this one's on me. I'll, st- I'll try and coordinate all this because I know, like, I, I did what I did. I, d- I don't regret it. But I was like, okay, now we have, like, you know, ten people who want to be a guest on the show, which is awesome, frankly. And I know there are other people who would love to be a guest on the show, and there's also other people we want to reach out to to talk about the Ranger stuff because... It is this time of year, Tom, where, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's the wild card stuff. We can do whatever we want with the show and, you know, at times normally in the off season we take, you know, we sometimes take a couple of weeks off or maybe like a month off, but it's a little different this year. We're going to play it by year. We have no hard plans in place. Uh, we're just going to see how things go because the other weird part of this is that we could have major news that impacts the entire league and therefore the Rangers really any day like as things evolve and when things like whenever the hell we hear training camp's going to happen and you know we already know there's no Traverse City and there's all sorts of all sorts of things that we should keep an eye on um, and do our best to keep you guys updated on but uh, the good news is we should have a lot of fun shows in the near future with a lot of really exceptional uh, women who are in hockey media being a part of the show and I look forward to that but you know this is a show for everybody and if you you don't like hearing about the troubles that women in hockey media have had to endure this might not be the show for you I'll put it there yeah and it's it is that interesting time and under normal circumstances we would have been doing this in the summertime because hockey would have ended at a normal time and what I sort of relate to this uncertainty in time is I think back to when I was in grade school and um, like, I don't know how many people had this experience, but um, it was specifically like my fifth, sixth and seventh grade summers um, more so fifth and sixth. Cause I, I changed schools um, for the for my seventh and eighth grade year. But Basically, our local library had this program where if you read X amount of books and I forget, there was some component that you had to prove that you read the book. You just couldn't fill out a form that said, oh, I read one, two, three, four, five books. It might have been you had to write a short little you know, paragraph or whatever and you handed it to the librarian. You could mm-hmm. get like, you know... Um, like a Pizza Hut gift card or, you know, a movie gift card or something like that. Um, point of the story is, like, we have all of this free time, and I'm a big believer of trying to learn new things when you have free time. And there are things that we can learn more about. Um, like, you know, I'm 
very impressed of like how you're able to put all of this together in terms of like your your women's hockey project, um, which everyone should support. You mining all of these stats and all of that dedication. And yeah, I've lost my mind, Tom. Like that's something like I don't know a lot about. Um, and it's something like that's new information to me. Learning more about you know the NWHL, learning about um, you know Canadian Women's Hockey League and all all of the women's hockey that there's been. I look at it as it's an opportunity to learn more information and like oh. I never knew that. Or some of these individuals who also follow their, you know, local NHL teams, whether it's, you know, I think we had someone from Buffalo, someone from Dallas. Like, we obviously know top, you know, level things about these teams, but it's just too damn impossible to know all these little intricacies. And, you know, I would think people would be somewhat interested in that if you're not, you know. That that's perfectly fine. Um, obviously, we're gonna have guests that we think are interesting, but what we think is interesting, what you think is yeah. interesting, is two totally different things. But just don't dismiss it out of hand as like, oh, they're they're changing my lovely format and all that crap nonsense. That's all we ask. Yeah, like I would say that we we're pretty um, we're pretty easygoing and we do a lot of good stuff we do a lot of you know wacky stuff um so like we give the audience a lot um and like we've always said and not many people have taken us up on it if there are things you specifically want to hear get in touch with us yeah let us know we'd be happy to i mean questions slowed down uh from from our listeners when you know the sport came to a grinding halt and we get it but you know if there's stuff you specifically want to hear, especially if you're a patron, reach out to us, let us know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're flexible, but I'm looking forward to uh, having some more guests on. It feels like this is going to be the summer of guests for us, so long as everything kind of stays the course, which is cool with me, because like, uh, I'd be fascinated to know what Dallas thinks about the Matt Zuccarello trade, you know, a couple years removed. And, uh, you know, looking back at even what, you know, someone in the Buffalo sports media thinks of, the, the one-year tenure that Jimmy Vesey had in, in Buffalo. Um, he, was, he was traded there, and then, of course, uh, Jimmy Vesey, now a Toronto Maple Leaf, Tom. Just uh, weird. Jimmy Vesey, Joe Thornton, and Jason Spezza. <laughs> is back in Toronto, but yeah. it's Toronto's, or I should I should say Wayne Simmons, because like, Toronto's bottom six is going to be just very peculiar to me. Um but, I mean, uh, before we did anything else, I actually wanted to talk a little bit of Rangers-centric stuff, uh, Tom, which is you know, one of the more fun and interesting stories right now is uh, Vitaly Kravstov is just kind of kicking ass and taking names in the KHL right now, which is uh, great, great, great to see after the chaos of uh, what he went through this past season in Hartford and then in the KHL and uh, briefly being sent down to the KHL minor league, which is either the, what is it? The MHL, the VHL. I always mix that up. So I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to look this up because I make this mistake all the time. So let's see. So the VHL is the Supreme hockey league. So this, so let's see. So, so interestingly enough, so now the VHL 
is now mm-hmm. the Supreme Hockey League, which is the second highest level of Russian hockey. If it's hockey. the Supreme, it should be the highest level, Tom. You know, the, it's you think it would. Word be. should have meaning. God damn it. Yeah, it should. Um, the point being, uh, <laughs> there's a league beneath. There's the AHL equivalent of the KHL. Um, the league behind the league. Yes, exactly. And uh, so for Kravstov to, he started off strong, and then he actually missed uh, about two, two and a half or three weeks with an injury. Uh, he missed most of like the first half of October. I think it was a lower body injury, maybe a knee injury. That was sometimes it's hard to get clear answers on what injuries are like out of Russia. Um, just like at times it's very hard to get answers out of stuff out of uh, the United States or Canada. But um, the long story short is Kravstov's off to a very impressive start uh, to the tune of eight goals and two assists um, in just 13 games. So he leads Tractor in goal scoring, which is really saying something for, for a guy who missed seven games of the team's uh, schedule so far. Uh, you know, it is... It is important to point out he's shooting at like 16%, very high. Uh, but what's more interesting to me is just watching him play. He just looks really strong on his skates. He looks like he's being dynamic and creative. He's going to the net. He, you know, he's making plays, doing things like following his shots. Um, the thing that's most interesting to me is that of those eight goals, Tom, seven of them are at even strength. And there's only one that's on the power play so he's shooting a shit ton and a lot of them are going in right now um and it makes you wonder like with uh with a scoreline like eight goals and two assists um it kind of reveals to you just how much offense he's responsible for in that lineup where maybe if he had a little bit more talent around him or had maybe even potentially a little more confidence in who he was playing with maybe those assist numbers would go up he'd pick up a couple of secondary assists to buoy those numbers even more. But for, you know, among the guys who are under 22 in the KHL, he's the leading scorer by a good chip right now. So again, despite missing seven games. So this is the sort of start you wanted to see out of Vitaly Kravstov. And it's fun to see him do this well um, because, you know, when the Rangers drafted, you know, when we first heard and knew that we were going to get Lafreniere, it's like Kravstov who, you know, <laughs> it's, he, he just kind of moves down the r- rung in the ladder in terms of the sexy prospects to keep an eye on. But this is exactly the sort of start you want to see from this kid after, especially after what he endured last season. And I couldn't be happier to see this. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's other Rangers prospects who are active, like a bunch of them, including Igor Rikov, uh, who's back in the KHL. There's a chance he may never come back to the NHL, but he is getting less ice time on a much better team than he was last time around when he was in Sochi. And, uh, you know, Carl Henriksen and Olaf Lindbaum and... Uh, Nils! Uh, yeah, Nils Lundqvist, of course, is off to a really strong start in the Swedish Elite League. So a lot of guys to keep an eye on. Of course, the college hockey guys uh, are not active, but um, it's... It's fun to kind of keep tabs on all these guys, and we might have more discussion about what some of these guys are doing. Uh, but right now, the the spotlight is on Kravstov's strong start. I was wondering, is this am I 
too am i getting too excited over something because there's literally nothing else to get excited about or is this like yeah we should be happy that he's you know he's kind of kicking ass taking names i would say that there is um you, if you find something to be excited about in 2020 do not let anyone <laughs> take it away from you yeah, like don't hold on to it like grim death hold on to anything that like seriously and like, hope and optimism yeah yeah and like here's the thing crafts off and it's of top of mind again because like the rangers have been doing this thing like i think it's like future blue or whatever where they they go back and they they splice together like when the pick was made and they've been talking to like Chris Jury and, and Gordy Clark and all that stuff and I think Kraftsoft's ran today, um, but like and obviously I think a lot of people already follow him but you know Alex Nunn like great job in following you know all the Rangers prospects I know like especially you know Nils Holmquist and, and Vitaly Krasov but um, I would, the thing I'd say about Kraftsoft is obviously you can look at the production, you can look at the goals and all that, but like Alex has shown like on time, time and time again, there are a lot of plays he's making that he's not picking points up on, where yeah. he'll set someone up, and there's a reason why he only has you know what I think what did you say two assists, but he could have a lot more. Um, you're going to have a ton more at this stage. Like, just looking at the, you know, we we have pretty limited amount of underlying numbers and analytics out of Russia. Um, if you're someone who would like to look at what some of those numbers can look like, I really like Dave McPherson's site. Uh, it's called pick224.com. It's great for, uh, you know, junior hockey in Canada, as well as AHL stats. I also like for the AHL, ahltracker.com. I think Jeff Craig's site. But, uh, Dave McPherson's site is really good because you kind of get some more context for what these numbers mean. You know, try to understand, like, how does a guy get eight goals and two assists, right? But a lot of times, it's like, you know, is this Jonathan Chichu? What is this? But that's not the case with Kravstov. He's, I, I had this thought the other day, but it was too dumb to voice it to anyone, Tom. So I didn't tell anyone, so I'll just tell you and our listeners today, which is while I was looking at, uh, the project where I'm, I'm going back and manually mining um, all the box scores from old wim world women's hockey tournaments just because you can't really find them all in one place and they're not reliable because the IHF is, uh, is silly and they do things like they count a shootout goal towards a player's point total and they do things like if a goalie allowed a goal in the shootout that counts against their save percentage why in God's name would you do that? Anyway um, it occurred to me, like, it would be really interesting to, if we tracked tertiary assists, um, especially in women's hockey, where we don't have as, as many analytics, as many numbers. Like, the analytics pool in women's hockey is shallower. We just don't have as much numbers to work with. So something like the third assist would tell you a lot about how offense is created, especially in regards to which defenders in particular help facilitate offense on the rush and things like that. And I think about that a lot when we see, like, watching the little bit I've gotten to watch of Kravstov this season. Like, I watch, and I'm like, oh, man, he's on the ice. He's doing everything right. And then someone scores, and he's either a part of it or he's not. More often than not, he's not. He only with two assists. But there's there's no denying that he's creating chances for his teammates. It's 
it's more than just the fact that he has 50 shots in 13 games or whatever it is. Like, he's also, I think, almost leading his team in shots despite all the games he's missed, which in and of itself, that's fucking bonkers, right? That he's that much of an impact player um, on this team. And I really, I don't know, it's one of those things where I almost DM Shayna and you separately to be like, hey, has anyone ever thought about tertiary assists? Because I know it's been looked at before, like puck touches and especially on things like the power play when, you know, who's touching the puck before the puck ends up at the back of the net or who's touching the puck before there's a shot because especially for teams that have set plays on the power play and things. But we could really learn a lot from looking at tertiary assists. And, and then, of course, someone might say, well, what about, you know, I don't know what comes after tertiary, Tom. Yeah, I the know. The fourth assist. <laughs> I... Yeah, second I, primary, secondary, tertiary. Uh, I'm just gonna say quartiary. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, because like I think like quartiles, like in. But yeah, anyway. But you know that is something, and like I'm really glad you brought that up because I have thought about this and just not had the the time or the wherewithal to do anything with it. But once we do have puck tracking, and if some someone quaternary, Tom. Quaternary. Okay. Well. And then quinary. And then cenary. Quaternary. I'm sorry, go on. I just had to say that. No, it's perfectly fine. But what I think of the tertiary assist, the one thing I think of is those amazing stretch passes that send someone on a breakaway, or it's a stretch pass to someone at the blue line, and they're gaining the zone. Then they do like a little drop pass. Someone skates it in, and then like a cross crease tap in, and then it's like, oh, the the person they get the primary assist. The person at the line gets the secondary, secondary. assist. But, but like the person and then that the third guy gets maybe a plus if if it's an even strength goal. Right, exactly, and like <laughs> that's something that. When Yandel was with the Rangers, people were like, oh, well, he's like a secondary assist king or whatever. But a lot of it was his ability to just hit stretch passes. And, like, in in most cases, like, that is the hardest part of the play. It's sending it up. It's a huge skill. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, like, I'd be interested if we had player tracking. And once we do have it up and running for a couple of years... If there was a way, and there's probably smart people in the community who would be able to, with the play-by-play logs or whatever, if you said, okay, we're going to look at the NHL scoring leaders, and obviously it's just counting goals and assists, but what if we added, you know, in situations where there were four people who touched the puck directly before the goal, obviously the goal, primary, secondary, tertiary, assist, what would the updated point sheet look like and yeah that would be fascinating to know yeah but if i have if i ever you know am in a position where i have a lot of free time and uh you know i don't have to work or anything like that and i really can just like that would be very interesting to me because i think that there is a lot of information to be learned there because it it also speaks to uh, a skill set because people it's very high risk in that you are risking the ability of turning over the puck and if you do turn it over frequently it could limit your playing time so it, it could be uh, a thing where 
it's uh it, it's like that I don't I don't want to go as far to call it like a market inefficiency but it, it it's something that it's a skill that's right and it's a skill that's probably undervalued and maybe we learn that okay the correlation here is that it's simply the best players making the best plays and there's only yeah. a few um outliers but I also, that... I also think for something like that it's it's something where it's very easy to to criticize when that's either your role or it's expected of you to make that outlet pass it's very easy to be like oh look he turned the puck over whereas you know it's like oh what is your job on the shift my job is after we dump the puck in or we rim it around the boards my job is to go in on the four check try to finish a check in the corner to put pressure on the defense like the d and like criticizing that guy the guy who pursues the dump in like the stakes for his role are so much lower than the guy who has to make the 200 foot stretch pass like and you know that's not exactly it. we went off on a bit of a tangent talking about crab style but it does go to show you that you know boxcar stats like goals and assists they only really tell part of the story which is why these underlying numbers matter so much because especially when you're trying to keep an eye on how a prospect is developing you want all the information you want a very good idea of what they're doing how they're impacting their team and even if you just look at the surface level stats for Kravstov early here, and like I said, again, you know, shooting 16%, that's very high, um, even for a player of Kravstov's skill. But, you know, looking at the numbers around it, it's like, yeah, but everything around it is encouraging. So even if that shooting percentage drops 3 or 4%, the points are still going to be there. And you always love to see, like, especially if you only have limited access to data, you always love to see players who excel at creating shots and then shots of their own. And when you watch them, you actually watch them play, you get to see players like Kravtsov who do generate shots for their, their line mates. And that is something that is doesn't always show up in the underlying numbers unless you know where to look for it, like shot creation and things like you know expected goal differential. And the guys who make things happen when they're on the attack and are... They make more things happen when they're on the attack than whatever deficits they may have away from the puck. So it's all really encouraging signs that a Kravstov, who right now is averaging, I think, like 16.30, 16.40 in ice time. I just closed out of the tab, so it's lost to me now. But um, it's a really strong start for him, which is great to see. Um, and, it, you know, it's exactly the sort of thing Rangers fans should really be loving because everyone's having fun projecting the lineup not just this year but the next year and the year down the road like like what this top six could be and what it represents you know with you know in the world where philip Hedl does turn into that second line center you have zib you have Hedl, you have capo you have booch for as long as you have him you have panarin you have lafreniere you have Kreider, and then like all of a sudden you're already into the third line and it's like wow wow what could this team be? And it's really fun. And then you think of, oh yeah, there's also Vitaly Kravstov. And I think what his strong start here is just a message everyone should kind of hearken to is don't forget about this kid. He had a really rocky year. And I know this is, you know, 13 games 
So, you know, it's not an incredibly small sample size, but, you know, just the start of the year. But this is awesome to see him kind of come out blazing, bounce right back after missing significant time with an injury. Like, that to me is an even more encouraging sign, especially for a young player who's already had to go through a kind of a lot of, you know, bullshit um, and, you know, kind of getting jerked around for him to have this strong start is awesome to see. And hopefully it'll continue to progress. Uh, it's something we can keep an eye on. Certainly um, a good sign from Kravtsov to start. And um, I'm very hopeful and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. Um, and speaking of what's next, uh, we're going to have an interview with uh, Jake Baskin reflecting on uh, the retirement of Doc Emmerich, um, a couple other things. Uh, I, when we finished recording last week's show, I said to myself, oh shit, you know, um, didn't mention uh, Doc retiring. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, good good interview with Jake, uh, touch upon a couple of things, um, you know, broadcasting in general, you know, with the future of the NHL and it's right steel. Um, so we hope you enjoy it. And uh, we're going to pause for a break. And then the next thing you'll hear is our interview with Jake. And then after that, uh, we'll be back uh, to, to wrap things up. So uh, we will be right back. And we are back from the break. Um, at this point, I'm glad to introduce our guest this week, Jake Baskin. Uh, he's the host of A Shot and a Goal podcast, uh, someone who's one of my favorite follows on Twitter for all the ins and outs when it comes to sports broadcasting. Um, thought it would be a perfect week to have him on, given that Doc Emmerich re- uh, announced his retirement last week. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jake. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I don't think I expected to have this conversation about Doc Emmerich retiring this soon, but I'm glad to talk about him and whatever's coming next. Yeah, so obviously, you know, the first place I want to go, um, Doc Emmerich is someone who, he, it's kind of a complex guy because you have people who have only been watching slash listening to NHL broadcasts for the last few years. But then you have some older fans who remember his work with the Devils, who remember him doing games way back when, uh, you know, nationally with John Davidson. Um, So as someone who is, you know, I would consider, you know, like an expert on broadcasters, hockey announcers, just what did Doc mean to hockey in, in general? 
I mean, Doc is the... I wouldn't say first, but he's become the most iconic American broadcaster in hockey. And he's become a voice that's synonymous with the NHL and American television. If you think of his days with Fox and the Glow Puck, if you think about the last 15 years he's done on NBC, his long association with the Devils in the years when they were very good. If even like the non-hockey fans that you see on Twitter and sports media would tune into a hockey game to listen to Doc, who has this unique style that probably I wouldn't teach, but it worked very well for him, and he made a Hall of Fame career out of it. It's funny you say that, because the first thing that comes to mind for me, for Doc Emmerich, is like a D&D character. He has incredibly high charisma. Like, all the points are in charisma, and, you know, intelligence and wisdom and all those things, but... He has this weird appeal, this kind of universal appeal, despite being really quirky. And, you know, he has, you know, kind of like a screechy voice at times. You know, his his vocal range is really interesting. Like, you know, he has that thing where, you know, and, and a scarf is like, you know, it's like he's breathing in as he's talking. And of course, his vocabulary is, you know, both famous and infamous. Um, I grew up as a Rangers fan um, associating Doc with the devil. So, like, when I was a kid, I was like, I hate this guy. He, he reminds me of, like, a vulture. I don't like him. But, you know, as I got older, I came to appreciate what he did for the sport. And also, I just, I'm really going to miss his voice. It's such a unique way to call a hockey game. And to me, he became, like, the voice of the sport in a good way because he's pretty unproblematic and also had that, you know, it's so hard to put, like, your finger on what made his approach to it so appealing but it's maybe it's just it wasn't it wasn't like confrontational it was just passionate right it was just pure passion I think there's something to be said that he worked his most of his national professional days like 90 plus percent of it in the sport of hockey so he was a voice that was seen as a hockey voice and you know, when you hear him on a game, you know, at least in the last decade, that it's a big game. He's he's the voice of hockey in America to so many people. And there's no one quite like him. And I think in the future, as many talented hockey announcers as there are, who, and one of them will get the job next, it's going to be a lot different hearing someone else's voice on the Winter Classic or the All-Star Game or the Stanley Cup Finals? For me, when I think of Doc, um, I, I was a big fan of Doc and someone who, you know, watched his his career, you know, from, you know, early 90s and obviously 2000s, 2010s, and, you know, this decade in general. And one thing that always stood out to me, besides the play-by-play, was those sort of, miniature like video essays once the broadcast would come on where he would set the scene in in just a way you know like he'd be like oh madison square garden two teams you know one trying to move on to the stanley cup final and all these little intricacies and i think that's something that um it's kind of an art form that you know there are people that maybe yeah they just turn on for the game their teams and everything but 
it, it's just sort of like a pageantry and the way I would kind of describe it sometimes is um, sort of like Vin Scully-like where it's telling these kinds of stories and sort of romanticizing, um, you know, what is a game. Yeah, I mean, more than Scully, I think I've had this discussion with David Halberstam who runs Sports Broadcast Journal, who I write for. And he compares them more to Dick Enberg with that sort of, if not, because like, no one can be like, quite like Vin, but Dick Enberg had this charm, you know, the, he knew the exact right words to say, everybody loved him. I, I, I get a lot of similarities between Enberg, especially when he was doing those video essays nationally, and Doc. So you mentioned that obviously there's a lot of broadcasters out there um, and it's going to be hard to replace Doc. I don't think they're going to, you know, try and actually replace him, the person, as more so someone who's going to just be filling that role. And obviously a lot of it depends on how the next uh, TV deal goes and who is going to be the primary rights holder and, and all that. So, um my question would be is, A, who could replace Doc in that role? And also, who you think uh, should uh, take the mantle? Well, I, there are a few names here, and any of them will be fine with me. As you guys are Rangers fans, and I am a huge fan of Kenny Albert, I've had him on my podcast. He's the only one remaining who's actually called Stanley Cup final games. He has that big game experience. You've heard him at the Olympics. You've heard him call the finals on radio. And he's been a longtime national voice. He's, he was on that Fox, that group of Fox announcers that Doc was on in the 90s. I think he's a very natural transition. I know there are a lot of people who are not particularly excited by Kenny, but when I hear Kenny Albert, I know I'm getting a great hockey broadcast every single night. So he'd be the one I'd prefer. Obviously, John Forslund left the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, he's 58 now, but he still has a, at least a decade left in him. Forslund is very popular. Everyone loves his catchphrases. He's excitable, similar to Doc. I think he you can't discount him either. Um, especially given that Fox, which Kenny Albert has a long association with, might scoop up partial NHL rights and take Kenny away. I'm sure a lot of people would love to hear John Forslund on NHL games. Honestly, and the, the voice of the New York Islanders, Brendan Burke, if you want to like build for the future and get this future multi-sport voice who sounds, or to me, at least a lot like Doc, Burke has called deep playoff runs. He's very excitable. He's called other sports for NBC as well. And although I don't think this is likely, I think there will be a huge push for NBC to maybe try out Mike Tirico and see, even though he's not a very experienced hockey announcer, he's proven to be popular and he's the face of NBC sports right now. I think they might, at least give him a few important games, even if he wouldn't be on the regular on the regular season due to his busy schedule. 
I think those four names are the ones you're going to hear most associated with the successor job. Yeah, Kenny to me is someone who I I think would be a good fit, but then it also comes down to what what the balance is because obviously all of the sports that he does. Um, John Forslund, another one who I thought, although I thought I read somewhere that although he loves the work that he's done for NBC, he really likes the aspect of being part of a team. Um, And I know, I think there were rumors that he's someone that who could potentially take that the job that's now open in uh, Tampa. Um, But yeah, it's to me, it's, it's going to be tough. And I do think like, as you mentioned with the rights being up soon, you're going to want to see where things go. Um, Another question that I I sort of had, just how do you think the NHL did broadcasting the playoffs this year? Obviously, it was different because you had some announcers in the arena, and then you had obviously some who were, you know, off-site calling off a monitor. Um, did, did you notice much of a difference, if anything, or it was, you know, too hard for the average fan to, to tell? I think, you know, remote announcing is hard for anyone, and there's nothing like being there. But I think what made me frustrated with NBC's calls is, having announcers separate from each other. Like, there were points when, like, consider the top team. When Mike Emmerich was in Michigan at his house, Eddie Olchek was in Stamford, Connecticut at the NBC studios, or at his house in Chicago, and Brian Boucher was on site, and none of them were with each other. And I found that kind of frustrating because they seemed, at least for a little bit, to step on each other's toes or in Doc's case to be a little bit behind the play. And I I know this is a weird situation and hopefully we never see it again. But toward the end of the playoffs, I actually got pretty tired of it and mostly stuck to the Canadian broadcasts who were all on site. So for the the Canadian broadcast in the finals, that was... um... That was Jim Houston and Craig Simpson. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I know it's... It's it's interesting because like I obviously you know I was watching the American broadcast but there's people who I know that were you know trying to find ways to stream you know the Canadian calls sort of similar to how you know every you know trade deadline day or free agent uh, frenzy it's you know oh you know NBC is is repurposing something from Sportsnet and and people trying to you know check out TSN um, but. You know, to to stick back more to to broadcasting, um, you know, given the lessons that, you know, I guess we've learned from um, things are going to be different, things were a little bit different in the bubble, do you think that there's any way going forward or things that you would like to see to improve broadcasts um, going forward? Well, I think the TV deal in America will certainly help this. I do not like the idea of one network having exclusive rights, which you see on both sides of the border now. At least uh, Gary Batman and Bill Daly seem to have it in their heads from every report that they want multiple networks to have the rights, and I think that is good. So like NBC and ESPN or NBC and Fox can push each other to compete and be better and try new things instead of 
being stagnant like I thought the later years with NBC have been. I wanted to ask you, Jake, about what are your what are your thoughts on? I mean, Rangers fans with MSG, of course, we know Kenny Albert. Um, you know, also with you know from from radio, um, where Kenny does a good job with uh, when he's on Rangers games. But the I was wondering what you thought of what the Rangers have in terms of you know I can't help but think of Doc Emmerich hanging up and then think of thinking of Sam Rosen, who's another one of these guys who's just been like a pillar like he's a constant for so many sports fans and you think of what that means to people it means a lot to have that you know throughout your fandom he is the voice of the rangers you know to the point where you know the rangers fans have a unique case of the most popular color commentator is jd and now he's the president of the hockey club um but i was wondering what you think particularly of the crew that the rangers have now with joe micheletti and Sam, and if you think that Joe Micheletti could be someone who kind of moves up the rungs, because, you know, he's a guy who ends up on a lot of national broadcasts, um, and I don't know, it's, it, it interests me in the, not to go back to this, in the idea to, like, how do you replace Doc Emmerich, I don't think you can, like, you shouldn't find someone who's trying to do Doc Emmerich, you need to find someone who has, you know, that, that X factor that appeals to everyone, you know, like a transatlantic uh, accent or something something that really registers with people I don't know if the Rangers might have that but I think Sam is a little too long in the tooth to be uh, in consideration for something like that yeah I mean Sam did I think a Stanley Cup finals game for Westwood one when Kenny was on football but yeah Sam is around Doc's age and although he's had a storied Hall of Fame career he was the number two guy for Fox in the 90s and I am a big fan of him, um, or at least I was back when he was in his prime. He may well be on his way out soon, and the virus and the uh, the worries about traveling may mean he's out sooner rather than later. It's definitely going to be weird seeing someone else on the Ranger games. I do believe that will be Kenny's job on TV. I don't... You know, Joe Micheletti's in his 60s. Maybe you have to worry about that for the future, but a longer future away. Yeah, still a lot of wick left on that candle, yeah. I, you know, I think the Rangers will always be an attractive job. Um, The announcers in New York always seem to be from New York um, or have some connection to New York. I, I think... You know, I'm I'm sure Kenny is the favorite to succeed Sam, and then someone else fills in on radio. I d- I don't think they should worry if Sam goes. Well, my my heart and my soul will worry, but yeah. yeah well, I mean, Sam's had a Hall of Fame <laughs> had a Hall of Fame career. He's been with the Rangers for over 35 years. You know, he has the ability. To, he is the ability from the Rangers to set his own retirement date. Yeah, he's earned uh, so that. So I, I don't I don't think they're gonna push him out or anything. Yeah. One could qu- still do it, just like Doc could you know, the thing that we haven't really said here, but it kinda goes without saying, right, is that Doc could still do this, uh, and still be the best in the business, if not in the top ten or so. Like and you know, like with the delays and the in the complications with broadcasting with COVID and doing it remotely, but like 
he was just as engaging and great as he's always been. Like, you know, the energy was still there and all that. Like, maybe at times it was a little downplayed. Like, I know we don't think about this sort of thing often. I'm sure you do, Jake, where we think about, you know, the voices to these sports we love and how they do kind of have a prime, right? We have, they do have a period in their lives where they're on top of their game and then where they're kind of at the twilight, right? Where maybe they're not as quick or they're not as, you know, on top, on their toes with a good quip or, or ready for anything that happens. And, you know, I, I know I'm not trying to single anyone out or pick on anyone, but listening to like Phil Esposito on a radio broadcast here and there is like, oh boy, Phil, just, you know, I don't know if he's always on top of everything. And yeah. that's not to say I don't love his insight, but you do get the feeling of sometimes, especially a sport like hockey, it just moves so fast. And yeah, really and that's why I think they have. I think uh, hockey announcers have a shorter shelf life. Like yeah. in in baseball, you see guys like Vin Scully and Bob Euchre working well into their eighties. But if you listen to to use one example, Bob Cole, who tried to do it in his eighties, there was a marked drop off from the days when he was probably the best announcer in hockey to what he finished up as. I'm glad you brought up Bob Cole because. Like, one question, and it's hard because I feel like it's really hard to compare broadcasters at times because it, not every broadcaster it's, has the same opportunity in terms of, like, some sometimes there are just incredible moments that you're able to, you know, you have that broadcaster's voice in your head that you always are synonymous with them. Um, I, I think of the um the olympics in um when crosby scores the game-winning goal and and obviously you know for you know american fans not so great but just you know just an amazing moment for for everyone in canada and in and all of that um in in your experience of listening watching hockey if you had to almost not rank them but who would be some of your favorite you know if you had to put them on like a Mount Rushmore of, of broadcasters? Well, I think the greatest ever is, you know, before I was born, before, before you were born, Dan Kelly, the legendary voice of the St. Louis Blues, the father of their current voice, John, who had this big booming crescendo and a great goal call. And he was the national voice for a time on both sides of the border. I, he is someone I personally listen to to try and improve myself. There are plenty of old games with Dan Kelly on the call. The 87 Canada Cup, multiple Stanley Cup finals, like the Bobby Orr goal. I, he is number one far and away for me. I, as a broadcaster, have kind of different tendencies. I don't have... I'm not a natural yeller, so I don't listen... So I, I think I listen more to the Canadian side where... I guess there are there is room for more reserved announcers, although guys like Kenny Albert down here certainly do it. You know, I'm I've been a I'm a big Bob Cole fan. I'm a big Jim Houston fan. It's I think those are who I look at. You know, Doc Emmerich has, is obviously one of the greatest ever, and probably the greatest to come from this side of the border. I'm not sure there's a Mount Rushmore for me. Just uh, Dan Kelly is number one 
Um, and beyond that, there are so many other announcers, guys like Lloyd Pettit, you know, I'm our uh, Bill Hewitt. There, there are just so many names that I, I think you, from old and new, that I can that you can learn something from everybody if you listen hard enough. Yeah, and I think for a certain age of people, there will be people by virtue of just playing the EA NHL games who will think, you know, Jim Hewson will think Gary Thorne, um, just because it was is something that, you know. These are the voices that I heard playing like all of these Stanley Cup final games that my real my real favorite teams never were able to participate in. Um, so yeah, I, I can definitely understand why you might not have um, you know a, a Mount Rushmore. Um, one other question I had, just more so related to like New York Rangers broadcast. Like I'm not sure, you know, how frequent of, of a listener you are, but one sort of phenomenon that people have kind of noticed is that when you're watching a regular New York Rangers game on MSG, Joe Micheletti comes across a certain way and people can't stand him. But if the Rangers are playing on NBC and he happens to be doing um, color or he's the guy between the benches, he's almost like a completely different person. Now, do you think there's anything to that or it's just... When you're a part of a local broadcast, there's that natural homerism that you just really can't shake. I mean, you, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised in Joe Micheletti's case. He's a veteran who has worked for national networks as well as the Blues and the Islanders and the North Stars and the Rangers. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a conscious decision to pander to the audience. I don't want to rip too much on Dolan, but he's the guy who fired Marv Albert of all people for not being enough of a homer. Uh, and when, when Michelotti, when Micheletti is on NBC, I think he knows, uh, rooting for one team is absolutely a no, no. And I'm not, you know, I'm a big John Davidson fan. He might've been like that. I think he's the greatest teacher of the game there's ever been. But, uh, you know, guys like guys who work nationally and locally, like Brian Engblom or Darren Pang or Jim Fox, guys who have plenty of experience on both sides, I think, know how to both pander to their local audience and then dial it back a little for their national audience. So the last question I have, you know, bringing that we, we talked about this a little bit um but you know i want to ask you specifically so with the tv deal coming up what does a new american tv deal look like ideally for you how many networks are they on um you know is it a thing where they have multiple games of the week similar to how obviously it will never be as big as how the NFL has it currently set up, but what does your ideal um, new TV deal look like? Well, my ideal, which may, my ideal of whatever is realistic, which may not be the most likely scenario, is an NBC Fox split. In other sports, I have kind of, uh, how do I say it? been frustrated with ESPN in their sort of more conversational type of broadcast, particularly on baseball and a little bit on basketball and 
at times it kind of makes me tear my hair out. And I know hockey is not a sport that lends itself to conversational broadcasts, but I, I don't want to see what that's like. My, my, I, I, I think Fox can, you know, which needs the content on FS1 can put a lot of side programming on that NBC has for whatever reason ignored in the last few years and may bring back. I think NBC probably keeps the bulk of it um, because I don't see another option. But, you know, one where Fox has, you know, a couple nights a week, maybe one conference final and a lot of deep playoffs, maybe you give them something like the All-Star game. I I just like to see, really the ideal scenario is no more exclusivity, which I think is happening. Just for my last question, Jake, I was wondering if we could close out with I don't want to put you on the spot or anything like that, but if there's something that stands out to you, maybe like an exceptional game that Doc called or um, like a couple of adjectives that kind of sum him up or what he brought to the game. I was wondering if you had some final thoughts on maybe what hockey is now going to miss now that Doc Emmerich is hanging it up. Yeah, I mean, I think probably the peak of a hockey broadcasting team is when Doc and Davidson were together in the 1996 World Cup of Hockey, where, you know, Doc could be a homer and no one could be mad because it's Team USA. And the, the, you know, the the great game between the U.S. and Canada in Game 3 in, in Montreal. Amanti has broken the tie and... <laughs> it, I, that's really what I'm. I'm gonna think of first, even if that was a month before I was born. It's <laughs> it's it's something I probably watch every year, and I, you know I'm I'm just amazed with how a guy from the Devils and a guy from the Rangers have that much chemistry together, and you know they yeah, don't they were magic. They don't they step really on each other's together. toes, and they really uh, hit it at the right moment. Yeah, I mean, anyone who follows me, you know, I, I tweet it out like every so often, you know, the Stepan's game winning goal uh, in, you know, overtime against the, the Capitals is just something that like whenever I'm having a bad day, just like knowing what's going to happen, knowing what's going to be said. And this concept of, you know, people say like, you know, letting the moment breathe and just hearing the background of the crowd like that is something I'll remember. I'll remember, um, you know, San Luis game winning goal against Montreal. Um, it's just so many memories with Doc um, and someone who will be hard uh, to get used to not listening to anymore, especially now that, um, you know, you can't even say, well, at least you'll have him in, you know, the EA games because, you know, obviously he's not doing them anymore. Um, where can people find you, Jake? Um, you know, any work that you're, you're doing, you know, plug uh, where people can find you. Yeah, well, if you haven't uh, deduced this already, I am pursuing my own career in play-by-play, not just hockey, but whatever I can get a job in. I mean, I'm still a college student, but uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JakeBaskinPXP, J-A-K-E-B-A-S-K-I-N-P-X-P, or you can listen to my, uh, my podcast where I interview hockey broadcasters called A Shot and a Goal. If you go to my Twitter page, you can certainly find links there. I 
I've released 37 episodes. I've had guys like Kenny Albert and John Walton and Dave Randorf. It's really been a lot of fun and a great learning experience for me as well. Well, that is certainly great to hear. Uh, Jake, uh, thank you for certainly joining us. And uh, be well with everything going on in the world right now. It's certainly uh, you know, tough, challenging time for everyone. But uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk hockey broadcasting and be a guest on someone else's podcast for once. And just like that, uh, we're back um, from uh, the interview with Jake. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, the last thing that I want to mention, and I don't want to... I don't want to go too in depth on it just because it's uh it's it's a tough story to to talk about and it just feels like that just when you think that you know things cannot get outdone in you know NHL stupidity and NHL frustration um we have the story come out um a pick from the Arizona Coyotes and uh, it's just a very disturbing story, um, and a lot of people show, a lot of people showing their ass and going the, oh he was 14 years old and, like no like, I don't understand why, the immediate reaction, just in general is to, insert yourself into a situation of someone you don't know and just defend them without knowing all the facts like. This is not, and part of it is also because of how this story first came out. Like, it was my first um, reading of it. I think that the term used was bullied, and the word bullied was was doing a, a fuckload of work. Um, it was more like assault when you you read into yeah. this, where th- this piece of shit is tricking someone uh, who. You know, they they have developmental disabilities into licking a, a piece of candy that had been wiped in a bathroom urinal. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, it, it makes me angry because, like... <sighs> yeah, it's... bullying doesn't cut it. This is, this is abuse. Uh, yeah, this it's is, abuse. This is, you can also say that this is categorizes, in my opinion, as something that's close to a hate crime. Because um, you're targeting a person for being different, um, and you're taking advantage of someone who is even more vulnerable um, to things like this because of things that are outside their control, which makes this all the more heinous and deplorable. And I get, I, I really, I get exhausted by the people saying, "Oh, is it impossible for people to change?" Is that what we're saying? He was a kid. All those things, like, people, of course, we can change and we can grow. But those things don't happen unless you own up to your shit. Right. Unless you acknowledge things that you've done. Unless you take action to acknowledge, like, I did something terrible. Um, like, I, I myself, like, I grew up saying, like, you know what, that's gay. You know, you're gay for that. That's a gay thing to do. And I was a dumb kid who didn't know better. And I've acknowledged that, like... That was a stupid, infantile thing for me to do. I didn't understand why that was hurtful because I was too young and dumb to understand any better. But I think about that all the time, that I contributed to something that revolts and and deflates me. And I try to... It's not this thing where, like, I need to constantly make amends for it. 
I, but I do want to be aware that I was part of a, a problem that I now recognize as a problem. And I take action to serve that, to, to kind of balance the, like balance the thing in my mind of like, I can do more. And what does that mean? That means more than just being like, of course I'm fine with gay people. That means going above and beyond, stepping outside my comfort zone and saying, like, I want it to be known that we can't do this shit. I was young and dumb and I thought I was okay. And I wish someone had taken me aside and, and said, hey, just so you know, this is not a cool thing to do. This upsets people and this is why. And this is why this is problematic. But no one ever said that to me. And so I want, I want that good messaging out there and I want... You know, one has to wonder if we were a little more compassionate to people who are developmentally disabled, people who are mentally handicapped, physically handicapped, you know, people who look different or are different than us. If we had a little more compassion in our society, if stories like this would be a lot less common. And it really sickens me that this isn't like the response is, oh, people can't change. You need to demonstrate the change in order for me to buy that. And that didn't happen here. Yeah, and I don't think your experience is alone. Like, I obviously can understand the concept of, you know, people growing up and people, it was just commonplace to say, like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's gay. Or people say, like, oh, I'm, you know, why, why are you doing that? That's retarded. Like, those were words, like, I think a lot of people heard growing up uh, as teenagers, you know, even in grade school. And it's obviously you have the the hindsight of knowing, like, those are words that you really shouldn't use. Um, and I can, you know, just know that, like, I can remember, like, hearing, you know, my, you know, brother's friends, like, talking like that and being like, you know, really don't need to use those words. Like, there's a million other words that you can use. Um, but what made me even more furious with this story is that it gets worse um arizona central ran a story on it i know the athletic is doing more stuff on it like there there's been a lot more coverage and um apparently some a lot of this information was already out there um in prospect circles um but so the arizona central story they they speak with um isaiah meyer crothers and He's 18 years old now, and he said that Miller had taunted him for years, constantly calling him Brownie and the N-word, while repeatedly hitting him while growing up in the Toledo suburb. Um, and what makes this so heartbreaking for someone who was trying to be accepted, someone who was different, he says, he pretended to be my friend and made me do things I didn't want to do. I got beat up by him. Everyone thinks he's so cool he gets to go to the NHL. I don't see how someone can be cool when you pick on someone and bully someone your entire life. And, like, that is heartbreaking that someone who is is different and someone who is probably, you know, you, kids are cruel that anytime you see someone who's different, like, there there's assholes who want to point out how different you are. And... This asshole is leading him on, thinking he, he's trying to be his friend, and he's psychologically and physically abusing him. Like, people are going to be like, oh, it's bullying. But, like, you, you look at this behavior, and it's unacceptable. And, like, anyone who's listened to the show, everything that we've talked about, um, 
there's so many situations of oh they're very talented um shit human being but damn good hockey player so we're gonna make excuses for this um and like this this needs to change and I'm really, like, going to get pissed, like, if the Coyotes actually, like, go on record and and, and try to play up that, you know, uh, his hockey talent and all that. And, you know, we think he's going to change. Because, like, what adds on to this is that the Coyotes lost draft picks because of... Um, breaking the the rules when it came to like testing prospects and and it's you know part of the situation led to John Chaka leaving the organization um so this was their first pick of the draft um and it, it's just the NHL is constantly saying oh you know we 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 need to be better we need to listen we need to learn and all that but when you're playing a professional sport, like that's that's a privilege. And yeah, you can be really talented. Yeah, you can really help. But if you don't deserve it from the the perspective of being like a good person, then a spot should not be made for you. And like this is something that you see it in all walks of life, where there are uh, less than stellar uh, people, you know, morally. But they they get opportunities and people justified as well. I need someone that that can do this. But until you have a united front where you have every team just go, yeah, yeah, they're a talented hockey player, but they they don't deserve to to be a part of our league. Like you're not going to have change. And like he apparently wrote a letter to every team, and it was I think uh, I don't remember who might have been. Um, Allison Lucan was sort of like describing it as almost like a Mad Libs apology of like I am sorry for insert yeah. thing, um, but it, it's just fucking frustrating. And the more I, I read about this story, like the angrier I got because I mean, with all the especially when you think about the things that Arizona got in trouble for, with all the research these teams do, with all the scouting, with all the they talk to the parents, they talk to the coaches, yep, yeah, up, up, up. If something like this comes up, how do you not acknowledge it? And how do you not say, yeah, we're not drafting this kid? Like, you you can't pretend that you weren't aware of it. And if, and if you were aware of it and you said, fuck it, we're doing it anyway, that's a garbage thing to do. Because it does send a message and it does matter. Like, it sends the worst kind of message. And, um... To say the least, it, it damages the opinion I have of the Coyotes organization, um, and it really, really discourages me that this just we continue to have these kind of problematic people um, in you know the sport that you know we're told all the time, Tom, hockey, good old hockey boys, they're you know they just they put the sport before themselves, you know they deflect praise onto their teammates. There's no egos in hockey. There's no personalities because there's no egos. Ha ha ha. Full you know, of character. And, yeah, it's full of character and grit selflessness. And it's like, I got news for you. Hockey players are just as fucked up as every other professional athlete, um, and it's not going away until we take shit like this seriously. So I hope this is yet another loud and clear reminder that there's a lot more work to be done in how we treat each other and how 
those who are part of the hockey community choose to value what's important in terms of what a person can do on the ice versus who they are um, because there's a lot more to who you are than what you do with a hockey stick in your hands yeah and this is not to say that you do something you are beyond um repair and like i i don't want to get into that line of questioning um i don't want to get into like you know there's a lot of examples you can draw of there's been some tremendously shitty people who have had that proverbial come to jesus moment and they've gone on to do incredible things um but in this case you clearly have uh, a person of privilege in the fact that um they are very talented at hockey that they thought that is all that would matter and they've clearly they've never apologized to to this person who like i said earlier you know they were they thought they were they were friends um and it's the it, worst kind of abuse in that it it continues and you take advantage of someone someone who has perhaps a, pr a predilection to being trusting and wanting to have a relationship with someone they admire and you continue to take advantage of them and treat them lesser and make them do despicable things because you yourself are despicable um it's one thing to say you know oh you know what uh, he did something dumb he's full of testosterone and stupidity he had one dumb night but this is like a prolonged thing this is a an extended period of being a shitty human being and i don't i don't rush to pass judgment on someone i only know about from reading articles about but you can't apologize like the bare minimum you can do is say hey yeah i absolutely fucked up i did something really awful i need to reflect and think about how i treated this person and what that says about me and i need to challenge myself to be better than this speak yeah. from the heart and if you can't speak from the heart there's a bigger problem here <laughs> because you might not have one yeah clearly for me it was this piece of shit clearly knew what they were doing it was uh there was thought going into it. There was, they knew what they were doing was wrong. They knew that this individual was in a vulnerable spot. They knew that there was this pretense of thinking they were friends and it was behavior that was uh, morally reprehensible. It's just, I don't, I don't obviously want to repeat myself too much. It's just really fucked up situation. Um, and, if anything, the last thing I want to say, um, just don't be so quick to, like, dive on grenades for people. Um, you don't need to immediately defend someone and, like, oh, they were 14, or oh, they were this, or oh, they were this. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of ass showing, I've seen a lot of really dumb takes. Um, it's just so fucking stupid. And, it really is is frustrating that there is a lack of awareness. But then again, you know, I should come to expect that at this point. Um, with that said, um, just don't be shitheads. Like, it's, yeah, it's not hard. Be, be decent human beings, um, you know. And we should all, you know, with something like this, we should all be careful. It's easy to get 
passionate either way about this, but I don't think it's it's asking too much to say. Uh, we should really, really make it clear it's not okay to abuse people who are like developmentally disabled who, or who have some sort of mental handicap. That's that's not that's not a a controversial stance to take. If you find something controversial in that you shouldn't harass and bully and abuse people uh, who have some sort of mental illness or disability of some kind, then you're a piece of crap. <laughs> like I don't. This is one of those things where I don't understand how there's somehow a line gets drawn in the sand here. And people find themselves on one side or the other. Like, what? What are we talking about here? Anyway, um, I did. I don't think Tom or I expected us to get quite so fired up to close out the show. But hey, um, this is a story that's like red hot right now in, in the hockey Twitter world and, and in the hockey world in general. And it's important because unless we talk about this shit, Tom, this story will repeat itself, won't it? Certainly. And like, I I say this with obviously the caveat, like. You know, I I take um, you know that this affects me more because like, and I don't want to make this about me, obviously, but as someone who was, you know, bullied when they were younger, like I can understand like what that feels like, and you know, it's it's certainly um, when you're someone growing up and you, you're really just trying to fit in. And you're you're trying to, you know, learn who you are and stuff. Like when when you are bullied, like it, it it's it has an impact on you. Um, yeah. So like when I saw this, like it's just like I could see like I know exactly like who this person was that was doing these awful things because like yeah, we've all I passed cross with them. Yeah. The the sad part is we. We, we all have kind of encountered these sort of people, especially in our youth, and um, in some cases, the people who go through these periods of uh, being someone who likes to take advantage of people or someone who uh, rushes to step on others to lift themselves up. They like to put others down. Um, you know, they're like the kid who holds the magnifying glass to the anthill that grows up to be a bully and things like that, like not to create a stereotype or perpetuate one or anything like that but we all know these people and that's the sad thing is a lot of people can immediately relate to this story because we all knew kids like this growing up and the weird thing is like what happens if that persists into their teenage years and then into their late teens when they're 16 17 18 years old and when does it become this isn't just a kid being a kid this is someone who's being abusive and terrible and when it's something like this goes as long goes on as long as it does it does do real damage it does matter um and i think we all know someone like i know people personally who who went through hell uh growing up because of bullying like when i was much much younger i was someone who was quick to tease other kids and then i didn't really like doing that anymore and i stopped and you know, we can all reflect and look back on why this speaks to us, and it makes it all the more evident why it matters. But yeah, I'm glad we both got to share our two cents on this one, Tom, because this one uh, pisses me off right past 10. You know, I'm up into 11 territory on the scale of fuck this, and I hope this kid never makes it to the NHL. 
with that said, um, you know, we obviously, you know, not not trying to uh, like end the show on a you know a fiery note and no real way to to really pivot um, to close the show. Um, but um, you know, we we are thankful, you know, everyone listening to the show each and every week, um, you know, giving your thoughts on the show and you know topics we talk about and things of that nature we do really appreciate it um as always we especially appreciate all of our our patreon supporters uh especially a six foot gap adam nahoic aiden gaspar amriel kistner under chicago andy white anti viola beezer ben pierney bjarner osterheim bob kawa bobby callahan captain america Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Duzen, David L. Singer, Fancy Lawrence, Frank Menino, George Lippman, Igor Zavlaski, Jamie Bussold, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Predzapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Keith Franchillo, Kevin Mead, Kushtastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matt Pumple, Matthias Olson, Michael Kanek, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Offman, Panarin 2020, Patrick Landl, Perennial Powerhouse, Sammy Vogel Seidenberg, Sean, Stieg Vjalbach, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, Vier Carlson, The Tin Man, Tory from Manhattan, and Trevor Kepner. Um, thank you, as always, for your support. Uh, we appreciate it. We, As we say almost every week, um, we understand those that have to um, drop support from Patreon, alter their contributions. We totally understand Um Life is tough now. Um, you know, we appreciate anything that you can do. You know, you can support us um, a few months. Great. If you can't, no worries. Um, as we said towards the beginning of the show, um, we're not exactly sure what kind of schedule we're going to be on. Um, we're going to try to do a podcast every week. That may not happen. Um, we're trying to schedule th- some things out. There may be times where we um, record a couple of podcasts, we can them up, and you know release them. But obviously, if there's can up like peaches. Yeah, exactly. But obviously, if there's breaking news, you know, once Ryan Strom is resigned, we'll obviously talk about that. If there's a trade, we'll talk yeah. about that. Um, but we appreciate your support. We appreciate your understanding. Um, I appreciate you, Mike. And uh, I appreciate you too, Tom. I will uh, talk to you uh, again on recording soon. But because I, you know, talk to you every day uh, over the keyboard. So uh, yeah. be well, everyone. And uh, thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Bye bye.